You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. Um, it is actually uh, late on, well, it's not late on Wednesday night. It's early on Thursday morning. Um, <laughs> we generally put out a podcast here on Thursdays. And uh, this week, I, uh, I, 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 we had me traveling the last, well, gosh, like six weeks in a row. We had a bunch of them built up uh, before I left, and then we were able to squeeze a couple in, uh, but my schedule has been insane, and the couple of ones we had lined up fell through. That happens sometimes, um, but uh, we didn't have anything for this week, and I said, you know what? I'm going to come in and chat with you guys. I, 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 needed, I needed to come into the office anyway. Um, I say that like I'm never in the office. I travel a lot this time of year, so I'm not in the office very much. Um, but also I found now that we're back to school, um, my kids are gone and it's actually kind of nice sometimes to work from home. So the few days that I have been home in the last six weeks, I have been working from home and, uh, not moseyed into the office, uh, quite as often. And, uh, I was in here, um, last week, two weeks ago and discovered that in a big rain event, uh, the roof had leaked and had really, um, luckily it didn't leak over by the computer and the printer and like the stuff that costs money. Um, but it leaked on a bunch of my books, uh, not any that were like sacred texts, but, uh, some books that people had sent me that are in a stack here that I need to read or I'm, I'm going to look through. Uh, but it damaged a bunch of my papers, a bunch of notes I had taken and just different things I had going on. And the worst part of it is I think it happened at some point when I was gone and I wasn't in here for a while and it kind of got moldy. Um, you know that, uh, like, yeah, it was, it was moldy, but to the point where like it was bothersome to be in here. Uh, I brought in a dehumidifier from home, uh, you know, talked to the people who own the building. They, uh, they tell me they got the roof fixed. Um, so we'll see. But uh, I want to come in tonight and pick everything up and get everything cleaned up and uh, try to, I don't know, make the place a little bit nicer again. Uh, I love this office, but uh, it's kind of a drag when it's um, moldy and uh, and wet. So it's looking better. Uh, things are good. I tell you what the office has. Um, it has the sweet, uh, the sweet fragrance of energizing mango lime kickstart Mountain Dew with just the right amount of kick uh, in the fridge. So here we go at 12.30 a.m. <laughs> I'm uh, drinking a Mountain Dew. Mm. I actually, my daughter um, has kind of a cold and gave it to me. So I had that probably second. Yeah, I'm in the second day of having a really sore throat. And uh, I haven't gotten one of those for quite a while. I've been out talking a lot and I usually get those and I, I have not. And now all of a sudden I do. And um, I don't know if it's the two member meetups, which happen in loud places and you wind up talking real loud and I'm not a loud talker. So it stretches my vocal cords more than I would like. Uh, but I suspect it is the cold that my daughter had that I've now gotten. So I'm in here. I wanted to chat with all of you. I thought if we don't have a podcast, I'll do this because I've got I've got some thoughts in my head that I want to share and I think by doing it this way, it will kind of force me to think through some things as well. Um, before we get to that, uh, tonight, I or <laughs> last night, <laughs> I had a, a planning commission meeting here. Uh, I've told you before, uh, for those of you that, that haven't heard, I'm, I got named to the, uh, the planning commission here in my hometown earlier this year. Uh, I, I was joking with uh, one of my good friends. Justin, the many of you who have listened to the very early, early podcast remember Justin, one of my former coworkers who uh, has gone on to bigger and better things. Him and I were chatting, and uh, he congratulated me for being named to Plan Edison's 
top 100 most influential urbanists. And I had a joke because I said, uh, yeah, you know, nationally that may be true or, you know, whatever size Planetizen's audience is uh, among them, that might be true. Uh, here in our hometown, uh, we've got 13,000 people. I'm probably like the 6,000th or 7,000th most influential person. Uh, so, you know, uh, it doesn't always translate locally. But I'm on the planning commission, and tonight uh, the school board, or the school sent representatives to brief us on this huge uh, bond referendum we've got coming up. They want to, you know, they say they're not sure, they haven't decided yet, but it seems pretty clear. They have a strong desire to close a, a neighborhood school. Uh, we have closed numerous schools uh, in in the city. I went through the list, actually, when I uh, introduced myself. I, I had a chance to ask questions, and I, I uh, said, you know, my name's Chuck Marone. I'm a 1991 Brainerd High School graduate. I went to uh, Riverside School for preschool, Baxter School for first and half a second grade. That is one they're looking to close. Um I went to Lincoln School for the second half of second grade and third grade. That is a school that already is closed. They're looking to tear that down now. Uh, great old 1930s building, but they, they don't have a use for it, so uh, better to be a parking lot. Not joking with you on that. Um, then I went to Lowell School for um, uh, fourth and fifth grade because the program I was in got transferred over there. Went to Washington School for sixth and seventh grade. That one is no longer a school. Um, it's a office building for the school district officials, which, you know, I could, I could talk for an hour on that, but let's move on. Uh, went to Franklin school for eighth and ninth grade. That's actually where I met my wife. Um, no joke. Met her when we were 14 and, uh, that school is no longer a school. Um, it was repurposed a couple million dollars. They repurposed it as an art center, but, uh, no longer school. And then uh, for 10th, 11th, 12th grade, I went to the Brainerd High School, which uh, is still there, and they're not planning to tear that one down. They want to do some major additions to it, uh, including uh, essentially buy up uh, two square blocks, or one square block they own. It's that Lincoln School that they're going to tear down. And the other square block they have acquired now, and they want to demolish that. So imagine driving into Brainerd from the south. Uh, you come into town. You're driving down our... Uh, Main Street through the center of town. Uh, in front of you at the end of the street is our grand park with a fountain that we finally got back running again. And just as you enter like the core of the downtown, you look to your left and there's two square blocks of surface parking. Uh, not cool. So we're having this conversation and, uh, you know, it's very clear that I am... Um, I won't say Mr. Pessimist or Mr. Negative, but I'm certainly in the, uh, in the minority of people who struggle with the design, uh, the layout, uh, some of the you know, underlying assumptions of some of this. And I, I, I'm telling the story as a preface here because I, I just want to – I want to let everybody know out there. Uh, you know, I, I may have been voted uh, to the top ten of most influential urbanists. That doesn't mean I get to show up at my council meetings and say things, even if they're incredibly smart things. Uh, I, I don't I don't get to show up and just have people do the things that I want them to do, right? I, I can't make good arguments and win the day. Um, I can't show up and uh, have my own little studies and my own little charts and my own little uh, drawings and analysis and have people pay any more attention to me than you do when you show up in your community. That is the way communities are. That's the way people are. And, I, you know, I know at times, um, and I'm going to play a, a recording here in a little bit to show you the impact that the Strong Towns message is having. I, I know when the outside expert comes in, it can change the conversation in dramatic ways. Um, I, I'm telling you about my struggles here because I just want to assure you, it's not easy. I get that. I totally get that it is not easy. And I'm, I'm kind of so cognizant of it because I started with that, right? Like Strong Towns is this outgrowth of me being frustrated here at trying to change the conversation and literally getting nowhere, getting laughed at, being the butt of everyone's jokes. 
um, being like the crazy outcast who, you know, where did you come up with all these nutty ideas, Chuck? Um, you know, show us the town that follows your ideas. Uh, show us the place that listens to you. Um, I mean, that was literally what, what was said to me. Like, why should we listen to you? Who else does? Um, where's the place doing the things that you think are important? Uh, it was in midst of that frustration that I started to write and then writings turned into strong towns. I struggle here. I struggle here the same way that you do in your city. And I'm just telling you, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's frustrating. You have to keep going. You have to keep working at it. And, you know, I, I, I'm convinced that it will never be easy, right? If it was easy, it would be done. It's not easy. It is not easy and it will never be easy. I'm also convinced, and I think this is maybe a good segue into what I want to talk about tonight. I'm also convinced that it, not only is it not easy, um, but it's not really a technical problem. Um, many of you know that I have tried to uh, immerse myself in my own like weird didactic kind of way in uh, the study of psychology, sociology, the brain, behavioral economics. Um, the last couple of years, I have read an inordinate amount of this stuff because I've started to appreciate, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm a planner. Uh, I come from this kind of professional background now. Uh, I've come to appreciate the fact that these problems are not problems of professions. Yes, professions are part of the problem. Yes, there's a lot we should do to change professions. But even if we got every professional in the country on board, uh, we would still have, you know, this huge cultural problem to overcome. We would still have these very human responses to change and to, uh, you know, uh, to, to new ideas that we would have to overcome regardless of how brilliant those ideas are, regardless of how logical they are, regardless of the lack of other options, really, uh, we still would have hard, hard things to overcome. These are sociological problems. These are cultural problems. These are not problems that will be solved by better zoning codes. Uh, these problems run much deeper. So what do we do? And this is what I want to talk to you about today. Um, John, John Reuter, one of our board members and I, uh, we talk, we, we sometimes talk in a week more than I talk to my wife. Um, I, I had a, one time I had a phone conversation with John that went over three, it was like three hours and 20 minutes. Who has a three hour phone conversation with someone? And it, it wasn't like it was a meeting conversation. It was just a conversation. We just kept talking and discussing things. And it's funny because when John and I talk, it's not all like agreement. I mean, I, we see eye to eye on a lot of things, but a lot of it is that we're kind of struggling to, uh, to make sense of this stuff. And we both have this anxiety and this feeling of urgency that we need to keep going. Uh, I paused last night with him after we had talked for over an hour on something internally that we're kind of working through. And I just noted, you know, John, we put together our strategic plan a little over two years ago, like two years and four months ago. Um, we made a big staff change and brought on uh, Rachel, who podcast listeners know very well, um, and, and you know, started a transition in terms of staffing and objectives and how we were approaching things roughly two years ago right now. And if we look back to that, the results have been astounding. There's no other way to put it. Our podcast is uh, audience is up 400%. Our blog audience, our, our, our media audience is up 500%. Uh, we are reaching more people. We are having more depth of conversation. Uh, we have higher levels of engagement. Every metric that we set up for ourselves is like, you know, the, the volume is turned up to 11 and the dials are all the way to the right, you know, chip, you know, peaking out. Everything is, everything is going really well yet. We have this like deep innate anxiety that we need to do more and what is next and how do we make this better and how do we deal with the problems that are right in front of us? Let, let me give you an example. What was the urgent problem two years ago when Rachel first started and we, we started this transition? I would tell you the urgent problem, the problem that 
kept me up at night and was giving me ulcers and just making me have so much anxiety was the fact that I would show up to speaking engagements and we had no upfront uh, coordination at all. And we had no follow-up at all. So we would show up to a place and we didn't even have the capacity to send out an email telling people, Hey, we're going to be here. You know, we, we had this database, this great database, even at that time. I mean, it's, it's way bigger now, but even at that time we had this big database uh, and, and, you know, we would have people's, uh, zip codes. And so, you know, we could say like, we're going to be here and everybody within a hundred miles of this place, let's let them know. And, you know, with me traveling and me out doing stuff, it just wasn't getting done. We, we did not have the capacity to do this. Furthermore, when we go to a place and all these people would be excited about what we were doing uh, and say, you know, uh, how do we get connected to you? I, I would say, hey, good luck. I'm on to the next spot. Um, go to strongtowns.org. You know, good luck. And there was just no like follow-up capacity at all. Um, th- this was frustrating because going out on the road, being away from your family, being away from your kids and your wife, um, you know, spending nights in hotels, uh, strange places, uh, taking early morning flights and late night flights home, and it, it, you know, eating out it, meals. It, this, some of this sounds like really great. Uh, it is hard and it just drains you and it is a ton of work. Um, it's a ton of, it's a ton of work. And, you know, I, I, to be doing that work and realizing that we are not capitalizing on it drove me insane, just drove me insane. It, it made me angry is what it did. Um, we are wasting uh, the capacity we have. And so we made some changes and we brought in Rachel and uh, we brought in other staff. We started, started to do things differently. Um, we have now, you know, two years of doing this. Uh, become really good at the upfront stuff. And I said we brought in Rachel. We actually, Michelle started before Rachel. Um, those of you have, have met Michelle. She's been on the podcast once, I think. Um, Michelle does our event coordinating. This has been a godsend. Just a, a complete, I mean, not only is she an amazing person, but uh, she's so good at what she does. It's been a huge godsend uh, to our organization to bring Michelle in. So y- you look at this capacity and all of a sudden, we're doing those things that, that two years ago we were failing at. We're doing them really competently. We're doing them really well. And you can look at all the metrics and say it's having a huge success. So what are we struggling with today? What's the thing that's keeping John and I up all night? And what's the thing that is just you know bothering me and giving me anxiety? There's a number of things, but I'm going to share one with you today. Our strategic plan has three parts to it. Um, I won't go into how we put this together, but suffice it to say, uh, we had a lot of things that we were looking to do. And when we actually sat down and evaluated what we were good at and what would be effective, uh, the intersection of those two things whittled out about three fourths of what we potentially could do. Um, And so we got down to basically three things that we do, that we do well and that we found have been very effective. Uh, the first thing we do is we uh, create content. Um, we create written content. We create uh, v- audio content. We create video. Uh, we hold events. We give speeches and lectures and workshops. Uh, we create content. And, uh, you know, that content is very unique. And uh, that content, you know, exposes people to a, a different way of thinking and moves the needle on our national dialogue. The second thing we do is we distribute that content. Uh, we have spent a lot the last couple of years in terms of, of, of financial resources and in terms of time, uh, just figuring out how best to uh, share our content and how we can get the maximum reach and the maximum engagement and the maximum effectiveness uh, from you know, the, 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 the limited resources that we have. And let me, let me delve into that one just a little bit. Cause I've got two examples to give you that might make that a little clearer. I think everyone understands the creating content part. I mean, you're listening to the podcast. This is part of it, but the distributing content is a, 
a, a little more refined. And it's a, it's kind of a, it's a fascinating art and science kind of mixed together. So let me give you one example and then I'll give you a, another one there. One's a negative and one's a positive. Uh, what we have found is that, and this is going to be obvious to everyone, uh, as soon as we start to use uh, the standard partisan language that you see everywhere, that whole long list of buzzwords, as soon as we start to use that, our engagement goes way up. Um, we can get a whole lot of people reading our stuff. We can get a whole lot of people clicking on our site. We can get a whole lot of people sharing our stuff. Um, but what happens is that it changes our message dramatically. It's not who we are. Uh, you know, we, we have this weird, funky staff of people who uh, are, are all over the political spectrum. We have a, a great audience. Uh, you know, all of you uh, come from just this really, really diverse background. Uh, we have working class people. We have professionals. We have people who identify as left of center, as right of center. Uh, we have small town and big city. We have the, the, the most broad and diverse group that, that I, I think you could ever imagine in this space assembled under the strong towns movement. Uh, you know, the, from what we can gather on our audience, it is a crazy, crazy broad mix. How much, you know, if we decide, if we could even internally decide that we were going to be partisan, which, you know, that would mean, <laughs> I'm thinking of our staff. That'd probably mean that like, you know, four out of six of our staff would just leave tomorrow. I mean, if we went, I guess two out of, depending on which way partisan we wanted to go, uh, you know, we would lose a lot of our staff because it's just not like, it's not who we are. Right. Um, but you can see it in other places. Um, this is why you get the Trump 24 seven, you know, Trump 24 seven, drives ratings, it drives clicks, it drives, uh, you know, all those kind of uh, top line metrics that organizations like ours strive to get. What does it also do? Uh, it distracts from the message. It actually creates higher levels of frustration. Uh, it doesn't endear loyalty or um, deep thought, uh, you know, it, uh, and by loyalty, I mean, loyalty to a, a movement or a message, you know, because Quite frankly, uh, if you hang out with strong towns long enough, you're going to get challenged in some way that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, I am. Uh, I think we all are to a bit um, by some of the stuff that, uh, that we share and the, the topics we discuss and the way we discuss it. If you don't have a certain amount of faith and trust in us, that we're not just you know tweaking you to get some reaction and, and driving out clickbait and running up the, the click score. Um, you know, if you don't have some loyalty to the strong towns movement and brand, uh, that, that, that is not going to work for us. We're building a movement of people and we have to, you know, treat you with respect. And so what we found is that we can drive the top line numbers, but we're not really getting, uh, the movement that we want if we do it that way. Um, that's one of the things we learned about distributing the message. Here's another one. And, and this is going to be a highly technical one. Um, but I just want to give it to you to, you can get a sense of how we approach this stuff. Um, if you go on our website, if it's the first time you've, you've been on and you click on an article, so you go to read something or go to, uh, you know, a podcast that we've posted at strongtowns.org. Um, what will happen is in, in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, very much like a, a lot of sites, there will be a, a little pop-up that will come. Or if you're on your phone, it will come right in the middle of the screen after a few seconds worth of time. Uh, it will pop up and it will say, hey, would you like to get emails from Strong Towns? Uh, would you like to connect to us? And, and we have this really like robust email system. We're sending out updates and information. We're trying really hard to customize it and, and, and make it relevant to you. Uh, our goal is to provide you stuff that is so valuable to you that you always open it up. I can't wait to get another email from strong towns cause I'm going to learn something new. That's our, that's our goal. Right. Um, but I just want to focus on that pop-up for a second because you think like it's, it's just a pop-up, right? Like it's, you know, everybody's got these, um, we, we have spent so much time on just that little pop-up. 
uh, trying out different things. First it was, should it come out from the left or the right? Should it come out in the middle of the screen or the bottom right of the screen? Should it uh, be blue or red? Should the button be white or green? You know, should the picture be our logo or should it be something else? So we try all these different combinations and, and one of them will have a click through rate of 1.6% and the other one will have 1.72%, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're running, you know, thousands and thousands of people a day through, it, it starts to add up. We've been working on this thing for a year and a half, you know, maybe two years we've been working on this, a, a long, long time, a long time. And, you know, we try different things and we tweak different things. After all this time, this month, uh, I cha- uh, you know, we questioned one of the core assumptions that we had at the very beginning of this. And it was, it was me. It was my core assumption. And here's my core assumption. The first time you get an article from us, uh, I did not want to, uh, you know, badger you with a pop-up. With a, with a little, you know, it's not a pop-up like it takes up the whole screen, but it's a little subtle thing like, hey, you know, get connected, you know, to the Strong Towns message. We'll, get, we'll send you stuff in your inbox if you're interested. Subtle little thing, right? My assumption was let's not uh, do this the first time that people come to our site. Let's wait until the second time they come. And let's show it to them the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, and then let's let's be done. Like if you, if after we show it to you four times, uh, you know, the second through fifth time you log in, if we show it to you and, and you're not interested, then come to our site as many times as you want. We'll never show it to you again. Right? Like we don't, we don't got to force you to get email from us. If email's not your thing, fine. Email's not your thing. I don't want to, I, I, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to be the site that gave people pop-ups, right? Like I we want you to focus on the content, get the content, share it, you know, that that was the focus. I decided to question that. Uh, we decided. I said I. We decided as an organization. What if that? What if that assumption is wrong? What if we start showing it people the first time through? And so what we actually did is we set up an experiment to look. Um, what if we show it to people the first time? Uh, you know, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, and we split it all out so you could actually see, like, at what point in this, because it was all lumped into one before, so we're just getting, like, gross data, and now we got, like, you know, refined data, like we we could see on each time. And here's what we found. Uh, the first time through is gonzo. Like, it, it's, we have literally doubled the amount of people whose emails we're collecting because we made this one little shift, Right. We have double the people now this month that we are in, able to engage in a deeply intimate way than we were a month ago because we made this one switch. We also found that the second time you show it to them is really effective as well. The third time, not effective at all. It's just a, it's just a burden. The fourth time, strangely, uh, way more effective. The fifth time, again, not at all. So, if you log on to our site now for the first time, what will happen is the first time you click on an article, you will get a little thing with email. By the way, if you sign up for email, you're not going to get it again. It's going to go away. You're not going to get it. Um, the first time you'll get it. The second article you click on, you will get it. The third article, you will not get it. And the fourth article, you will again. And then that's it. You won't get it anymore. And what we figured out is like that combination right there, uh, helps us collect the most number of emails and drive the highest level of, of email engagement uh, than any other combination. When we say distribute the message, that's the second part of our strategic plan. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Like that kind of, um, you know, how do we bump up from 1.5 to 1.54 the percentage of people who are choosing to engage with us in that deep way? Uh, what are the things we can do to make that happen? And I gave you that very specific example. Understand that we're doing that across like this broad spectrum of things. Um, you know, when 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 we write a major piece that we publish, uh, we are running an analysis on it to see how far do people go down? What do they click on on this page? How far do they scroll? Um, where do they get stuck? Where do they get hung up? And, and the reason we do that is because if there's certain parts of our writing that just are not connecting with people, if people get down so far and then they get stuck on like this paragraph, like this paragraph 
is not well written or people get lost in it, then we go in and we say, how do we fix that? How do we change that? Because we want you to get all the content and we don't want, you know, some bad paragraph that we wrote to be the hang up or some, you know, ill placed graphic to be the thing that doesn't, you know, prevents people from, from moving on. So these are, <laughs> when you don't have a lot of resources, let me put it this way. When you don't have a lot of resources, getting those small amounts of difference is, is really the difference between being really successful and, and not successful at all. And I think over the last two years, it's been that intense focus on how we distribute our message and how we continue to refine that and, and really our ongoing commitment to doing that, that has allowed us to take uh, scant, scant resources and magnify them beyond anything we you know, reasonably have a right to do. The third part of our strategic plan then, uh, I said there are three parts, create content first, distribute content second. The third part, uh, and, and I'm going to use the exact words from our plan because it's, it's really important. We nudge people to take action. Nudge people to take action. And we use the word nudge very, very intentionally. Um, we discussed when we put our strategic plan together, you know, were we going to get into the community organizing game? Were we going to have local chapters? We're going to have local people work out. And, and we realized a couple of things right away. First, we weren't good at it. <laughs> you know, um, taking this engineer planner and having me be a writer uh, was enough of a stretch. Um, you know, uh, taking, you know, me and, and an organization that I'm trying to work with and saying, you're going to be community organizers. It's just not, it's just not what we do. It's not my skill set. It's not what we do. And the question became, if we wanted to do that, like if that was the most effective thing, what would that mean from a resource standpoint? It, it would mean a bizarre amount of resources, right? I mean, it would mean an insane amount of resources, more, more resources than we thought we were going to reasonably get our hands on, you know, in a decent period of time. And so we had very intentionally said, we are not going to be, uh, you know, organizing people to take action. We're going to be nudging them. And by nudging them, uh, what we were saying to ourselves and to, you know, the people in this movement, uh, to all of you is that we were going to, um, try to make it as, as inspiring as we could, and also make it kind of as easy as possible for you to take Strongtown's insights and then do something with it. Um, do something with it to make your community better. And we kept coming back to uh, the phrase that I've used on this podcast since the very, very early days where I said, you know, keep doing what you can to build a strong town. And the idea behind that is, you know, what can you do? Um, some people have capacity to do a lot. Some people have a capacity to do very little. Um, but can you do what you can do, you know, right now, today, what is it that you can do? Let's do that. And so that language kind of helped us shape this message of, of trying to nudge people. Here's where we're stuck and not stuck. Stuck is probably the wrong word, but here's where we're, um, in a sense, like grinding our wheels today. Um, because what does it mean uh, for, for a, an organization that is, is doing a pretty good job on content? I, I mean, I have a gazillion things I want to do better and differently. And trust me, uh, we have all kinds of plans for like the next increment of, of resources we're trying to raise. You know, what would that allow us to do from a content standpoint? Um, I have a whole ton of things from a distribution standpoint that we're also working on. I mean, we have this backlog of things we want to do that is, gosh, there's got to be 200 things on that list. I mean, it's huge. It's enormous. All the things that we think we should be doing and should be done. And we add to it all the time. Um, but, you know, I think looking at where we have come the last two years in those, uh, those two parts of our strategic plan, it has been incredible. I mean, we have made a lot of progress, a lot left to do, but we made a lot of progress. It's that third part where I think now we're kind of saying, all right, we're sharing a message pretty darn well. We're getting it out there. We're starting to get a lot of traction. Um, 
how about this nudging thing? Like what, what should be next? I'm going to play for you some audio and uh, I, I'm actually recording this on my Zoom and so I, I don't have like a mixer. I'm actually just going to play this off my phone and hopefully it sounds okay. But this is some audio from a podcast uh, reviewing some stuff I did in Pensacola. It, 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 you're going to hear two people. One is the host and then one is the, the guest. The guest was uh, one of the guys we work with there, Christian, that helped us get this uh, the whole engagement in Pensacola set up. And this happened, you know, th- this conversation took place after, well, like week, 10 days after uh, we did an engagement in Pensacola. And I, I want you to hear uh, the reaction and the way they discuss it. And very specifically, I want you to hear it because this is what I hear everywhere we go. This is the feedback we get everywhere we go. Mostly we get it written. We ask for it and people send it in and we get this. Sometimes I get emails. Sometimes we get, you know, Facebook or Slack messages. Uh, sometimes people call us up, but rarely do we get two people in some other place talking about this where it's recorded. And I just want to share it with you because it, it is really powerful and it is the exact feedback that we get all the time. So here you go. Calling in. Uh, for our listeners, it's Christian Wagley. Uh, he is works with – he's kind of the brainchild behind Civicon. He's the guy who's been picking the speakers. Uh, how, we had the first one. What were your thoughts on it, Christian? I mean, it couldn't have gone any better. It, it really um, – it was bigger and better than I, than I ever thought it would be, I think. Um, I was just so impressed with how the community responded, and I think, um, you know, we were lucky that, that Chuck Moran was available, and I think the strong towns, you know, that name, that, that moniker, that, that message really kind of, I think, brought it all together in one and was real, real identifiable because, I mean, who doesn't want to be a strong town, right? So right. it was a perfect way to start out. So. Well, and, I, and what, you know, since it's happened, uh, I mean, it was a, we had a, a morning discussion uh, with, with community leaders, and we had a, a full full bore filled the Pensacola Little Theater that night, and it was um, the discussions that it spurred is, is exactly, it, you know, I've had more people talk to me about what did you think about this, how, how, how does that work with what we do, we're doing now, or should we relook at some of the projects that we've, that we've done or in the, in the drawing board? It's just created a lot of discussion uh, that, you know, and like I tell everybody, this, this is one one uh, planner's view of things. There are other ways to look at this issue, but just the discussion, I think, has been good. It's been incredible, and I'm glad you're hearing you know the same things I am. I mean, the very next morning on social media, I saw um, conversation from people who'd been at the at the presentation with Chuck, um, and I saw like the far right conservative folks and more liberal environmental folks, friends of mine, and they were all chattering on there, and they were all agreeing with basically the message, you know, that that we need to be a strong town, and let's look at those principles that Chuck talked about, and it was amazing. People that usually don't come together on many things, so it was really it was really cool. And I'm seeing um, I'm seeing elected officials. I'm hearing, and people are telling me, hey. I heard a county commissioner today talk about strong towns, and he asked a question related to that when there was some item before the county commission. And, I, and I'm hearing those, those kinds of things. It's been amazing. Yeah, I had uh, Commissioner Doug Underhill was in my office this afternoon, and he was, you know, they've been given about $850 million worth of projects that, that all the different boards and the, and the mayor would like to have taken to Triumph Gulf Coast. And he said, you know, you have, using the strong town approach, we may want to look at what builds us up from the end, from the inside out, rather than worry about the outside. How do we get to the outside? So it, it is. It was. It was really. You know, to me, I like ideas. I like to be able to bat them around. I like to be able to see what works here and what doesn't, and and what tools we have. Uh, the. Uh, so you did a good job in getting that one. All right, there you go. <laughs> I mean. that's the feedback we get everywhere we go. I mean, you can see why our our strategic plan is written the way it is, right? I mean, when we go into places, this is what we hear. When we interact with people, this is what we hear. Hey, the far-right conservatives are talking to the left environmentalists, and they're agreeing on things. I mean, where in America do you hear that today, right? That's what, that is the feedback in my inbox every single day. That's what we get all the time, all the time. 
you know, elected officials are saying we need to rethink this project. We need to relook at things. We need to examine, you know, how we do things differently. You, you can see how when we sat down two years ago and put together our strategic plan and we said we're a very small organization with a really tiny budget. What can we do to accomplish this huge mission we have to change, literally change the way we are building our cities? How do we do that on a shoestring budget? I mean, the, 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 the pure hubris of asking that question, I, I sometimes am in awe of the fact that our board is this visionary to actually ask this question. But they said, you know, this is how do we do this? And this is what we came to. We came to like, hey, if we share this message and we get it out there from people, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we're solving, you know, Palestinian-Israeli peace conflicts here. But really, in the United States, the way we are divided today among rural, urban, left, right, you know, Trump, Democrats, how, however you want to pull these divisions, we're out there sharing this message, our strong towns message. And we're seeing the left talk with the right. We're seeing the urban people agree with the rural. We're seeing elected officials actually start to do things differently. This is why we do what we do, right? This is why we do what we do. So now we get to the question, this third part of our strategic plan, we nudge people to take action. And what should that be? Now, today we had a Slack chat. Uh, for those of you that are not on Slack uh, or don't know what Slack is, um, we used to have a discussion board and it was a pretty um, quiet place. Uh -huh. I wasn't there very often. So not a lot of things happened with it. Um, our staff wasn't there very often. People would post stuff and it just, it wasn't in a natural gathering place. And so it just kind of languished. Um, there's also a bunch of strong towns groups on Facebook, different cities and areas have started their own group and having conversations. We try to plug into those and be part of them. Um, you know, but we've got a lot going on on social media too. And so sometimes it's hard to keep up with all those, but as a staff, we all use Slack to communicate with each other. Slack, for those of you that have not used it is, um, basically a cross between instant messaging and email. Uh, and, and, and we use it instead of email. We still have some email, but like email is a total bane for me. So we try to cut down on the amount that we use and, and do as much as we can on Slack. And it's really, really effective. And because we're there and we've invited, you know, anybody who wants to come in and be part of a strong town Slack to be there, uh, we can keep up with the conversations. We can be intimate with people in our dialogue. Um, and we have over 1100 people now on the strong town Slack conversations going all the time, all these different topic channels, more channels than I can follow, but, uh, not so many that we can't stay engaged and accessible to people. So if you are, uh, if, if you, if you're not on our Slack, but you want to be part of the conversation, uh, go to our website. There's a discussion board link, get on there. We'll get you signed up for Slack and, uh, and take part in that. So today we had a Slack chat, which we do these every now and then. Um, I will take an hour today. I took about an hour and a half and we just chat with people. We just talk. Um, people ask me questions. We go on and on. And, and we got into this conversation about this issue. What, you know, what should we be doing to support people who want to do strong town stuff? What, what would, and, and this is the way that I think about it. It's a little bit the, um, uh, the elephant and the rider, uh, kind of metaphor. Um, Chip Heath, I can't, I have the book right behind me. Um, what's it called? Uh, made to stick. I think that's the one I'm turning around here, looking at my bookshelf. Um, they talk about the elephant, the rider and the path. Um, let's leave the elephant, the rider out. Those really go to Kahneman and the system one system two thinking how we decide the direction we're going to go and focus on the path, which really is this third step. And the question that I've struggled with is how do we make the path? If, if we can get people's like emotional self and then people's logical self wanting to go in a direction, which I feel like that's what the curbside chat and our content and our step one and our step two of this process do. How do we uh, make the path as wide and clear and straight and walkable as possible so that uh, people who want to act on 
their inspiration with strong towns can do so. How do we do, how do we do that? And when we start talking about that on Slack today, we get a lot we get a lot of the same things. Um, one of the most popular ones, Chuck, you guys should start a five hundred one c four, a political action committee. You should raise money. Uh, to give to political candidates that support strong towns ideas um, that that is probably that that could possibly be the most frequent uh, suggestion that we get when we start to get into this realm and uh, you know I, I I get it um, you know we live in a political culture political world you like I said earlier. Uh, we start saying the name Donald Trump, we can be just like CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, and we can get all kinds of clicks and all kinds of views and subsequently raise all kinds of money if we want to go into that space. If we wanted to do that, uh, you know, we can, we can raise a lot of money. Would we have a difference? Would it change minds? I, I'm, I'm skeptical. Um, first of all, again, it's not what we're good at. It's not what we do. Uh, second of all, um, whenever you get into a, a political race, uh, you automatically are entering like a divisive field where I actually feel like the strength of our message is it's not divisive, right? It's bringing people together uh, across these ideological divides that everybody else is trying to exploit and, and, and make broader. We're actually overcoming them. So, so to me, it seems like the antithesis of what we should be doing. And then I, I think the third thing is like we, we have such limited resources. I mean, I keep saying that. I don't know what all of you think that uh, we have uh, for a budget. Our budget this year is $340,000. That is huge. That is huge compared to where we were two years ago. I mean, it is, it is, it is amazing. It is amazing compared to where we are, you know, two years ago. It is a tiny, tiny fraction of, uh, of what, you know, organizations that are working at the level we're working at, uh, with the level of influence we're having and, and the number of connections. And, uh, and uh, it, is a, it is a joke how small that budget is compared to the, uh, the impact that it is having. So my question is, how far does $340,000 go uh, if we're starting to work in politics? And I just, I don't, I, I don't feel like this is a good return on investment. I, I really, really don't. And I'm, I'm, you know, leery to go down this route. It's not us. It's not what we do. And I don't think it's hard you know, high ROI. We also get kind of related to that, that we should get into lobbying. You know, we should uh, be collecting money and then, you know, going and testifying at state capitals and yada, yada. Uh, here's what's up like absurd about that. And I, I, I don't mean to say you are absurd if that's what you think we should do, but let, let me tell you why I just wholesale reject that idea. The whole strong town ethos ethos and the future of this country is going to be determined at the block level. It is going to be determined at the block level, at the neighborhood level, and at the city level. The idea that we would somehow be more effective by getting lured away by the shiny object that everybody else is chasing after, by the way. You know, you, you, you can go to, you know, name your national organization that is working on urban issues and cities and what have you, and what are they doing? Uh, they're chasing after the big politicians, the big fish, the big, you know, how do we get this legislation changed? How do we get this big thing done? How do we matter in Washington, D.C.? I'm telling you, we're changing the dialogue because we're not doing that. And those places have uh, maybe deeper influence in a very narrow band, but they are becoming quickly irrelevant. Because the action in this country is not in Washington, D.C. And it's not going to be in Washington, D.C. Uh, is going to be out in our cities, towns, and neighborhoods. And that is where we, that's where our conversation is happening. That's where our people are at. That's where it's happening. And so the idea that we would somehow take up lobbying uh, and, and, you know, and dealing with legislation, uh, you know, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. I, I'm bored with it anyway. I'm, we're not going to do that at all. No. Um, we get all these other things thrown on us. Like we should train public officials. Um, we should go train staff. We should, we should go around and train planners and engineers on how to do things. And, you know, I, I inevitably run into this problem with that in that, first of all, 
I don't, I don't think that that brings about a lot of change. I mean, understand that I tried to do a little bit of that in the early days of strong towns. I mean, I thought, Hey, I've put together this narrative. I'm showing it to people. They find it kind of compelling. Let me go show it to a bunch of my fellow uh, engineers and planners and see what they do with it. And they, you know, had the same, they, they laughed me out of the room, like, no. And even the ones who kind of got it were like, you know, Chuck, no, nah, I, I can't do this. I'll lose my job. Right. So then I said, well, let, let's go, let's go train elected officials. Let's tell them. And, you know, a lot of them would say, wow, this is a, this is a big deal. You kind of scared us here. Like maybe we should change. And then they'd say, but you know, this isn't what voters want. I actually had one um, council member once we went through this whole thing. Uh, totally bought in, like, Chuck, I get it, yep. And then, like, the next vote was to vote for this huge, uh, you know, bonding, borrowing, like, tons of money to throw at a bunch of rural roads with dead-end cul-de-sacs with no homes on them. Um, And his literal quote to me was, I know this goes against everything we talked about, um, but people will get mad if we don't do it, and, you know, by the time it all falls apart, we're going to be gone anyway. That, that was, that was his quote after going. And I, I just, I walked away. I'm like this, I I do not belong in this world. Like I can't make sense of this. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm not part of this. Like this is not, this is not a viable way to scale any type of change. I'm wasting my time here. Um, so I, you know, the idea of training people, I think has some merit, but you know, as something that I would put, want to put a ton of resources into, I just don't feel like it would be the most effective thing. Maybe, maybe as part of it, but, uh, you know, if you think we have a $340,000 budget, what percent of that budget would you put into training people? 10%, 20%. I mean, 10% would be $34,000. You can't do very much with that. You know, if you're talking, gathering people together, putting together training courses, doing videos or, or bringing people all to one place. I mean, the, 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 these are really expensive undertakings. Do you know, do we really, is that what we want to do? I, I, I feel like it's not. Um, one of the other things that we get a lot and I've actually seen some very novel approaches here, so I'm not going to reject it wholesale. Um, even though my gut just screams like, no way, don't ever even ponder doing this. I've seen enough uh, novel stuff be thrown at me to, uh, that I respect to, um, to not totally reject it. But it's the idea of coming up with some type of a certification system. Um, here's what you would need to do to be a strong town. Uh, if you would like to get your city, town, or neighborhood certified a strong town, Go through this process and we'll certify you. Um, send us your money and we'll, you know, stamp off on it if you meet the criteria. Uh, similarly, if you are an engineering firm or you are a planning consultant or you are, uh, you know, working in economic development and you want to be strong town certified, come to our training course. Uh, we'll spend two days going through stuff with you and then there'll be annual continuing maintenance of that degree and you pay us your fee and then we'll, we'll, you know, certify you and you can have some initials behind your name. Rah, rah. Um, I, I, I like, I loathe those approaches and, and let me just give you like the main reason why, um, there's no doubt in my mind that those things would be cash cows, right? Like if, if the idea here was to, uh, have perpetual employment for everyone at strong towns. Uh, those would not be bad ways to go. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, we get asked to do so much consulting work and we have to continually tell people we don't do consulting, go hire a consultant. We're not consultants. We don't do it. Um, you know, we could turn 340,000 into a, a seven figure consulting firm, uh, within six months. If we agreed to do consulting, we, we don't do consulting, Right. Um, so it's not about being lucrative. Certification would be incredibly lucrative. Um, but I think you run into the Moody's problem, right? Uh, or the, the rating agencies problem. That's what I meant by Moody's. Um, yeah, I mean, there's more than one rating agency. So I, I should say the rating agency problem, which is, you know, I pay you, uh, to certify that my stuff is good. And if you don't certify that my stuff is good, I don't pay you. And so you don't get paid. And so it creates, I I think, the wrong set of incentives. Could we do that with principal? Yeah. 
do the rating agencies do that with principle? I'm, I'm sure that they believe that they do, right? I'm sure that, you know, the AICP feels incredibly principled about uh, the certification process that I have, uh, that many others have. Um, does that mean that, you know, they uphold the highest possible standards and they, uh, you know, uh, would, would rather lose half their membership than degrade their, uh, their stand? No, it doesn't mean any of that. It, it's no, no. And, and they're hostage to this program too. I mean, if they step back and realize someday that like, this is not producing, uh, the optimum results in, in planning, uh, would they walk away from it? No, they can't because their income stream depends on it. I, I think that our movement has to stay away from things like that. Now, could there be ways we could do it? Uh, could there be systems set up that would have like independent checks that, that would, uh, you know, not allow those kind of things to happen. I've seen some really novel approaches and some of you have floated some of those to me and I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. My gut says, no, like this is not the business we want to get into. Um, but you know, let's, let's continue that conversation. Um, I wrote down a couple, oh yeah. Uh, we get asked all the time to put together model zoning codes. Um, here's my response to that. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it is, it, it, the world needs model zoning codes, right? And I think there's some brilliant people out. You, you want a good zoning code? I'm going to tell you where to go. Go to placemakers. I'm not sure if it's .com or .org. A bunch of my good friends, they're brilliant people. Hazel Boris is a, is, is a wonderful, wonderful genius of a person. She grasped this stuff. She has a whole like group of people that work with her. Um, they can fix you up with a great model code better than anything we would ever produce. Right. And here's the thing about a model code. If we put out a model code or a model set of ordinances or it is going to work for one city and not the next, you, you run into the complete streets problem. Right. And I mentioned this one before, Complete streets is like a very simple concept to grasp, right? We should make the street complete. We should, you know, have a place for everybody, right? Um, but when it comes to applying it, what happens to like very simple things like that is they get, they get bastardized and like deeply misapplied at the local level. So you will have complete strodes all over the place. Uh, that, you know, the engineers are really happy to build and everybody's really happy to build and people smile and say, yay, but nobody walks there. They don't add any value. They're bankrupting the city even further. They don't, and they're not actually safe. Um, and the complete streets, people say, no, no, that's not what we want. But, but when you go down that route, like a one size fits all, um, you wind up with, you know, stupid people doing stupid things at, at the end of the day, strong towns is a lot about asking people to think, right. To think. Um, one of the things that we're getting all the time now, uh, is places want toolboxes. Give us a toolbox, give us best practices, tell us what other people are doing. And, and I'm actually, it, it, that seems kind of like a hokey thing. I think it's kind of hokey, but I'm gravitating towards it a little bit because I feel like, uh, we have actually done that to a degree. I mean, we have, if you go to strongtowns.org forward slash success, uh, you will get a long, 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 long list of, uh, you know, story after story after story after story of places that have done great things, places that have done things right. If you want a bunch of case studies and you want a bunch of like, how, do, you know, how do we do this? Go there, go there. It's great. Um, again, the, here's, here's the problem with a toolbox. Uh, if I put together a toolbox and I base it around uh, Brainerd, Minnesota, where I'm from. How applicable is that to Minneapolis? Yeah, it might be. But let's say I do one that's applicable to Brainerd and Minneapolis. How applicable is that to something on the East Coast, where the cities are a lot different? Or the Southwest, you know, where things are a lot different. Or go to the Northwest, uh, where the cities, you know, are completely, you know, in, in, a, in a much, much different way. I, I think there's some overlap, but even in the very simple thing like Black Friday parking that we do every year, where we talk about eliminating your parking requirements. I mean, th th this is almost like, uh, you know, the simplest kind of uh, toolbox device you could get, right? Yet, when we look at different cities, they have very different responses to parking, and, and I think rightly so, right? I think rightly so. 
So the question when you're writing, putting in a toolbox, you know, if you think of a toolbox like from the hardware store, you'd have to ask, you know, am I putting together a toolbox for a carpenter, a painter, an electrician? Uh, is it an apprentice? Is it a, you know, a, a master electrician? You know, like what, 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 is it, is it the person who is in the office doing bids? Is it the person who, uh, is out doing pulling wires? You know what you, you have uh, like multiple toolboxes and I think you could go down the toolbox rabbit hole all day. I mean, I think you could toolbox forever and, uh, you know, you walk into the strong towns, home Depot to pick out your toolbox or the, Strong Town's corner hardware store to get your toolbox. And here's, you know, 200 different toolboxes. I, I'm, I'm not trying to overthink it here. I'm actually trying to simplify it down because I, I, I don't think that that is, again, a very scalable strategy. Um, one that is going to, uh, is going to really matter in terms of making this path uh, that we're asking the rider and the elephant to go down uh, wider, broader, straighter, you know, easier to navigate. So here's what I'm asking. We're uh, we're an hour into this night, and uh, I want to know from you, like what what is it? What what do you think it is? How, if you were sitting where I'm sitting, and you had you know a, a limited set of resources that you were going to deploy to nudge people in a certain direction, you, you've shared the message with them. They're getting it. They're excited about it. Uh, you've reached them, you know, you've, you've gotten the stuff in front of them and now they stand up and they say, I'm with you. What do I do? What would you tell them? Uh, how would you make that path easy? I'm interested to know what you think. I'm, I'm interested to hear your ideas. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to reject any of them. And if I've gone through and rejected your idea already, send it to me anyway. I, I, I want to hear it fresh again. Um, you can reach me on Slack, uh, you know, go on, go on Slack and, and direct message me. Uh, you can reach us on, on Facebook. You can email us and, and I'll give you the team email because if I send you mine, uh, I'm already can't respond to all the emails that I get. Um, if you send it to team at strongtowns.org and, uh, you know, put, I, I, it put nudging idea in the, uh, the message, you know, bar, uh, we'll get it. The team will get it and it will become part of our conversation. Uh, I'm interested in hearing from you because I, I, <clears throat> I, I don't have the answer for this one. And, you know, while I've got a sense of, of how it's supposed to go, uh, I, I really don't know the answer. And I'm interested in, you know, hearing from as many ideas as I can. Um, because, you know, let me tell you a, a couple parameters I've got. First, whatever we do has to scale, right? It, it's it's got to it's be able to scale. Uh, it can't be, you know, we dig really deep into one place and come up with an intimate toolbox that works for that place. Um, but then it doesn't scale the town next door. Like that, for, for what we're doing and who we are and the space we're in, like that does not work. Here's the other thing, though, and, and this, is the, this is the other constraint that I'm going to give you that you've got to keep in mind. Uh, we can't afford to make big mistakes. We, we can't afford to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars trying something out and, and ha have it not work. Uh, we, just, we, just, we do not have that luxury. That cannot be us. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'll give a quick baseball analogy um, you look at the New York Yankees and the New York Yankees can sign like the big free agent and then have them be a total bust and they can eat that contract. They might not like it. They might not be happy about it, but they can do it and it won't wreck their team. I'm a Minnesota Twins fan. That's my local team. I love these guys. If the Minnesota Twins sign the free agent pitcher to a 10 year contract that pays $27 million a year. And after two years, that pitcher throws out their arm and, you know, is not hurt where they go on, they have to retire or go on the disabled list. But basically instead of throwing 96 miles an hour, they throw 88 miles an hour and basically pitch batting practice for the next eight years. We will, we, that's, that's, that's eight years where we will never make the playoffs. We will never succeed. Our team will be terrible. Strong Downs is like the Minnesota Twins, right? We can't afford to take on that big, big contract under the idea that it's going to you know, be the winner. 
whatever we do, we've got to be able to test small. We've got to be able to increment it up. We've got to be able to scale it. And we've got to be able to tell success from failure pretty quick. Um, because, you know, we don't have uh, the, the resources to just throw at all these problems. We have to think very strategic. So get a hold of me. Let me know what you think. I'm interested in your ideas. I'm interested in, in, in having you help me and the rest of the team here figure this out. How do we get to the next step? How do we take this great content we've got, uh, this great distribution system that we've created, continue to work on improving those, but add to it uh, the ability to provide better nudges, to move people to that path, to make that path smoother and wider so that they can get down it. How do we do that? And if you help us, uh, <laughs> if your idea, like, I, I will be eternally grateful and, uh, I don't know, we'll figure some, we'll figure something out. Um, but I will be, uh, I will be eternally in your debt if you can help us out with that. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, keep doing what you can to build a strong town and do what you can, right? Do what you can right now, uh, to make the world a little bit better. Take care, everybody. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill. Bill, Bill, Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.